Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. I'm sure by now y'all have heard about the Vortex VIP warranty. It is a unlimited, unconditional lifetime warranty. Absolutely the best warranty in the business. So if you drop your binos out of a tree stand, if you run them over with your truck, whatever happens, you can send it into Vortex and they'll fix or replace it. That gives me peace of mind knowing that Vortex stands behind their products. So hey, head on over to Midway USA and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on any Vortex optics you order through Midway USA. If you use that code, you get a discount and it helps out the show. So head on over to MidwayUSA.com and check out some Vortex optics. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we got on a deer slayer and a speaker at the Mobile Hunters Expo, Mr. Jeremy Aaron. Jeremy, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about y'all? I'm doing great, man. Just getting excited. Just getting excited. Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, dude. It's uh, deer season's on its way here. And I'm so, yeah, again, so excited. Like, love turkey season. It was a great turkey season. But, man, the gears have switched. Summer's here. You know, about to have the Mobile Hunters Expo coming up very, very soon that, Jeremy, you're going to be speaking at. And uh, very excited for like what this deer season has uh, to offer for everybody. I think everybody's getting really excited about it. Um, and really, to kind of kick us off, Jeremy, you've been a guy I've been wanting to get on the podcast probably about a year and a half or so now. And it just worked out perfectly that, you know, where you're going to be at the Mobile Hunters Expo doing a, a presentation talking about a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, kind of hunting out of state and really having uh, your P's and Q's uh, taken care of when you're going out of state to have the most success possible. And I've been wanting to do an episode with you on it because if anybody follows your YouTube channel, uh, Do It Yourself Hunter, they're going to see these hunts that you take place traveling all around the country, hunting whitetails and, other, and hunting other species as well. And it's fascinating to kind of find a guy from the deep south from mississippi that has the, the success that you have traveling to other places so jeremy to kind of kick us off could you introduce yourself a little bit like what is your background kind of where are you from and how did you get into traveling for white hunting specifically well I'm, I'm from north central mississippi bruce mississippi uh, i'm 56 years old i've always loved to hunt killed my first year when i was eight years old uh you know around here uh, when i was 16 my dad took took a couple of my buddies and me out west. And that's what first got me. I'm talking about we got out of school Thursday evening and took off driving for 24 hours. And we got there 
you know, Friday evening, bought her license. We hunted Saturday. He said, y'all be back. You know, they just dropped us off. He said, hey, y'all be back here. And we was, you know, I was 16 years old then. <laughs> that was my junior year in high school. And they dropped us off. We drove two days to hunt a day and a half. Didn't kill nothing, man. That set a fire under me. And then I got to go to Montana a couple years later in my early 20s, and I hunted Montana for like 14 years in a row. Hunting elk, mule deer, had some contacts out there that got us going and absolutely loved it. I always whitetail hunting here in the south, but hunting that out west, that open country is more spot and stalk. Because like I said, I, I grew up in the south. I'm a gun hunter. I grew up because that's just pretty much how our seasons are set, uh, gun season during the rut. But I got hunting other places and stumbled into, you know, I had a goal that I want to make a living hunt. In my early 20s, that was my goal. I want to make a living hunt. Had a show on Outdoor Channel in 2003, sort of hunting out west had, had some experience hunting out west and stuff like that and got doing that and got picking up picked up a hunt in iowa and that sort of got me started on what's out there man you, you start going and hunting them places you're like man just because they're a bigger deer don't mean they're harder to kill you know when you're hunting in the south you know so that's that's got got me going like i said i've been in the timber business for over 30 years well my dad died six years ago and after he died, I sort of set a goal for myself. And I got uh, three girls that's they're graduating and all out on their own now. So me and my wife are empty nesters. So we got time to do stuff. And, and you, when you get the kids going, it don't take near as much money for you to, to survive <laughs> and on your bills and stuff. So I had a goal. It didn't work when I was younger with the kids home and, and a couple of things happened. So I, was, I worked my butt off because, like I said, I had a goal. This is what I wanted to do. You know, I want. I wanted. I, my goal was it when I was twenty. I wanted to retire when I was forty. You know, I I wanted. My goal was I want to make a million dollars before I'm forty years old. I want to retire. Well, at forty with three kids at the house, you can't do it. Uh, <laughs> three girls especially. So it took a little longer. I turned fifty, and that was where my dad died. And I like, I'm finna do something. And then things just worked out perfect. You know, I I I traded a little land over time and made a little money buying selling land. And it just worked out like, hey, I can sell this one place here out. Everything's paid for. We've got a lot of cash flow coming in from other properties. And I'm like, I don't need that much money no more. So that's where I got the freedom. And I really encourage these younger guys, man, don't try keeping up with the Joneses and all these boats everybody else got. All these, enjoy life. You know, work hard, enjoy life. But look at the, the long side of it. Look when you get 40, you get 50 years old. What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Because life, time, y'all, the older you get, you value time a lot more. Because I, I said on a couple podcasts before and on a couple shows, I always looked at, man, when I turn 50, I'm probably finna start over the hill. But when you get 50, you get thinking, man, how many folks live to be 100 years old? You, you don't hit the top. <laughs> and so so that really, you, you think a lot different, you know. I remember going to my banker one day when I turned 50 there and I, I had a couple pretty big notes and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm finna get these things, try working them down. I'm not interested by anything else. And he's like, you'd be surprised how folks, when they turn 50, they think different. Oh, uh, you know, they, it ain't about trying to accumulate stuff and want stuff. It's about enjoying life. You know, cause you don't know how much more of you got left. You, you know, I've, I've done a lot of hunting out West, done a, hunt, a lot of hunting in other States. I got a good woman at the house. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell a lot of these young guys, y'all, help take care of mama and it pays dividends in the long run y'all because i know some guys are divorced and stuff like that 
like old, <laughs> she took me to a comedian one time, Rodney something. I don't even know what his name is, but he's like, man, you get a divorce, you, you buy that couch. You, I've gone and bought that same couch two or three times. <laughs> so you spend a lot of money and a lot of other things that you don't have to do when you stay married. And, and she's got she's a teaching got a teaching job, good insurance. A lot of that helps, y'all. There's a lot of times I had, I couldn't go out when I wanted to. But but she sort of learned. We put priority. I put priority during a rut because I learned after a few years when to kill mature deer. It's just a certain few certain time period in in the year. So. Yeah, you can kill them early sometime. You can kill them late sometime. But, you know, I, I got looking over 20 years of hunting. I go back and look on the wall. I, Man, when did I kill that deer? And pretty much all of them fell within a 10-day period in the south here. Well, I started going out west, and I started learning the same thing in different pockets. You know, so we sort of talked right before we got on here about it. How you said how Alabama had, you could hunt one part of the state to the another the whole season chasing a rut. The United States is sort of the same way, too. Well, you can find pockets. You know, we've learned to sort of go Wisconsin far north that last week of October, they're rutting. And I, I sort of stumbled across that at a gas station about four years ago. I was going to home three years ago now. And I run across some guys there getting gas. And I could tell his hunters, and they had a Louisiana tag. I'm like, where y'all going? They're like, we're going, we got to play some Wisconsin. We've been hunting it for 10 years. And he's like, Halloween day is the best day there. He said, he said, that rut up there is not like here in the South. He said, and the South sort of spread out. But he said, I about guarantee you, Halloween's the best day in, in Wisconsin. So, man, I, I got researching and said, man, I go up there and hunt. And it, that is, it, it, that is a good time. Oh. And like I said, I've hunted different other places over the years, you know, and learned. And a lot of you stumble and kill a big deer. And in old years, you kill another, and in old years, you kill another, and you get looking back. Man, all them dates sort of fall in together. You know, November the 18th is pretty much my day. I'm finna be in the Midwest. Go back to say what my wife, we learned priority is there's certain times I'm gonna be gone. Uh, with my work, you know, like I said, I've just got to do this probably the last three or four years, really hunt when I want to. Now I've always hunted around here after work. Like I said, I was a logger. I run my own tree cutter for years uh, and loved it, uh, thin timber. And a lot of times I get ahead and eat and I can take on go hunting, you know. I basically, I tell a lot of guys that really want to hunt, your job is very important to being a good hunter. Because it don't matter how good a hunter you are, if you don't have the time to go and be there at the right time, you're not going to be that much very successful. So, and, and I've seen that. I've run into people all over the country, and you got a lot of them have landscaping jobs. They may have big jobs in the summertime that they make most of their money, but they can take off. Or they may have a good job that they can take off four or five weeks out of the year. Well, they're probably going to take a month off at that peak time. <laughs> so... You know, that's a little bit about me. Um, like I said, I just love to hunt now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's some good advice, man. And, you know, we've kind of started doing something similar where, in at least our part of Alabama, it really doesn't start getting good until late November, maybe around Thanksgiving is when our first areas start cranking up. And then we kind of chase it throughout the year until February when season goes out. But prior to that is kind of when we get our – midwestern scratch or whatever or like jacob will go to tennessee most years we're trying to go to kansas this year but that didn't work out (laughs) people hear about that on the on the dang outro (laughs) but uh but so uh, over these last couple years i'm just curious like what what does a year look like for you right now compared to what it was i mean you kind of gave us a little bit of background of you know you couldn't really hunt when when you wanted to you made some sacrifices uh but now you have a lot more freedom so like what does a what does a season look like for you now 
well, like now we're scheduling, you know, we're planning it now. Anytime out west stuff, you've pretty much got to plan it before you go. Uh, you know, some of them are draw hunts, like the Kansas and Iowa, but there's still a lot of over-the-counter tags. But you've got to sort of plan in the, in the spring. You know, it's a lot like Daniel said before a lot of times, it don't matter if you hadn't, you're not making a lot of money, you don't have a lot of money come in, plan for it. Just put a little bit of back, you know. You may not go this spring, this fall, but you want to go next the next year, start planning. Because oh, our main expense is a license and your gas getting there. Mm-hmm. You've got a vehicle that can get out there and back. You know, like I said, we stay in our own vehicle, and I've, I've, I've sort of involved over the last 30 years. i got a Subaru car now. You know, you wouldn't think of a hunter in a Subaru car. I absolutely love it because I sleep in one side and I got all my gear in the other side. And what got me onto that was probably 30 years ago, we was in Montana and a local from Helena was in there hunting where we was at and he killed a coyote and we helped him get it out. He threw that sucker up on top of that Subaru. And I'm talking, we was up in a rough road. <laughs> and I thought, there ain't no way you're gonna haul that coyote out. And he strapped it on top, tied it down. And he said, yo, you wanna come down and take a bath stuff? So we rode down with him and I like, I bought like them vehicles ever since then. <laughs> and I got two of them now. So like I said there, they get good gauge mileage and very reliable. Oh, so. Are, are you like starting in September and and hunting until, you know, I guess January and kind of hitting a different state, or are you, are you like cramming in a bunch of hunts around the rut in different areas? Well, early before the rut, like I said, you can you can look at some of the Dakotas if you put in early to get archer tags. You know, Nebraska, you you can you can hunt that area. I haven't done that a lot. I did draw. You know, so much y'all put in for muscle out in Kansas. One thing I say about that, they're very hard to find that time of year out there because they're not going to move to right at dark. And a lot of times they're going to be around at that because I went out there last year in 95 days because there was two little old blocks of public on the river that looked good. And it was, but the deer wasn't on it. They was off on the private. So, you know, unless you got a good spot to go. And I had a guy on the show, but I've done a little trailer show on that. And the guy said, hey, you, you about got to know where they at. So early... I will do some. I really don't get into the deer hunting until probably October. Uh, I do. I, I have found a place in Arkansas the first week of Arkansas. The first week of October is pretty good. Got in on a pretty good deer over there a time or two. And a lot of that just they're on acorns. You know, the acorns dropping a little earlier over there. So I do look at that. Uh, you get to late, middle, late October. I may look at there's some rocks. There's the muzzleloader seasons scattered around that last week of October. Oh, I sort of looked at them. I done one in Oklahoma a couple years ago and killed a dang good deer there, but it was front oriented. Had a big front come through. I don't believe that front would ever come through. I wouldn't have killed that deer. Oh, but when November gets here, is that's when I really try planting. Oh, is some of the areas that like I say Indiana, some Ohio, are early, first week or two of November. Oh, you, and there's just some pockets I've learned, and so I sort of I sort of plan like that. What I've, I've learned over time is, but like now, like yesterday, I would have to be in yesterday if you want to put a point or something in. Well, so you got to plan for that. And a lot of times I put in because I think I got enough points to draw. I'm looking for a state close to it. So when I go, I try planning for two states because it be time management. You know, it's, it's really manage your time when you go somewhere. And you can do that when you go by yourself or a small group. You can't really do that if you go with four or five guys. Well, so... That's one reason I've got where I really like to hunt by myself. I seem like I'm way more productive because I, I can pick up and go, move to the next state. But yeah, there's a lot of planning um, into 
and a learning and i say a learning process from last year i draw five tags last year i draw way too many it just fell that i put in different places and i didn't think i'd draw and i did draw i put in from montana the first time in 15 years we draw the deer and elk tag i didn't step foot in montana last year with that tag because i didn't have time it just didn't work out oh so i like i'm not gonna do that again so you can draw too many places even though you've got plenty of time to go there's there's still having so many days in the fall <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, I'm, i, I want to get into how you go about being like a, a versatile enough hunter where you can go to all these different areas and have success uh but i also really want to talk about the planning process and, and you're talking about planning all these trips out uh, i kind of want to get into what is your thought process when you're initially maybe looking at a map or something and you're trying to figure out just where you want to go uh, how are you determining an area that's, that's worth your time where you're like, you know what, I think I need to spend seven, ten days here in early November? Well, like I said, I've, I've sort of learned the rut. Going to a new place or going to a place, I know my style of hunting and what I'm good at. I like hunting river bottoms. If you watched any of my videos, you see I hunt out of a boat a lot. Uh, so that's the first thing I look for when I go in an area. I'm looking for waterways that are navigable that I can get up and down with my boat. Uh, because most time you find that whitetail is going to run river bottoms and most time that river if it's deep enough to run a boat in they will cross it but most time it's a natural barrier they're going up and down it so i'm not scouting very far off of it i'm telling you, a lot of deer i've killed i'm not 100 200 yards off off the river so that's my niche that's why i say a lot of young guys or folks that hadn't really ever done something in other states they want to do it find your niche what you're good at find, you know it may be hill country it may be hunting the mountains there's plenty of mountains you can hunt. You can go to Arkansas. You can go to Missouri. You can go to West Virginia. So that's what I tell guys. Find what you're good at, and you've been you've been successful before, and hunt that. So because that's what I do. Oh, I do step out of my comfort zone every once in a while. I went to Wisconsin the last two years. It's a little different. There's river bottoms, but right off them river bottoms, it's straight up. Oh, you say it's like the bluffs right there, close. To me, hunting them hills is. I like hunting in the bottoms. It's hard to hunt in the bottom in a hill because your thermals are just going to swirl in the bottom. You you got to get more up on the ridges. Um, so I you know I I stay away from that a little bit. I've had all kind of several guys from the show like, man, you need to come hunt West Virginia. You need to come West Virginia. And I'm like, man, I'm a flatlander. I know y'all got big deer up there, but that's not my style of hunting. <laughs> so that's one thing that's kind of interesting that you just mentioned is finding something that you're comfortable with, like finding your niche and kind of sticking to it. Because one thing we've talked about on the show a couple times is uh, not overloading yourself, especially if, if maybe you're just a couple years into it and you're still kind of trying to figure things out. Maybe maybe don't go on like a three-state tour in the fall and maybe hammer down and, and figure out your area. Uh, do you agree with that? Like what are, what are your thoughts around that about maybe someone who's still trying to learn and going out? Does going out like that help or hurt you, you know, there in the beginning? Well, what, what I've learned is I have a plan A, and a plan B and a plan C. Like maybe if I like if I knew a draw Iowa, that's my plan A. I'm gonna put emphasis on it. So you get there and you kill a deer the first day and you got ten days took off. Look what else is open. I've got another plan B and a plan C if they if they work out. That's what I tell a guy. Don't you plan A, put all your emphasis on it first. If it connects and you tag out, hey, go to plan B then. But to go back to your main question, yeah, don't overload yourself. 
you know, don't, 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 don't buy three tags. Cause you buy three tags. You think you got to go to all three of them. Have that plan A, B and C Buy the first tag. And if you tag out there, cause you can go to Walmart most time or you, most time they, you can get download their app and you can buy it on your phone. So that's what I would say to you, is, is set yourself a goal in the spring. Man, I want to hunt three States, but I'm telling you very seldom, you know, because Daniel and I, we always said, man, we, we're going to get this many shows. We've got, we, we ought to get this many shows. Very seldom you ever meet that. Uh, but you try for it. To elaborate on that, uh, Jeremy, um, if somebody kind of elaborating off Andrew's question, uh, which you, you kind of answered, but I want to kind of get your take a little bit more. If somebody's like gun ho, super excited about hunting another state, okay, but they're still. Maybe they're, maybe they're kind of struggling still back home. Like, they haven't found their niche. Like, they're kind of struggling, but they want that adventure of going somewhere else. Is that something that you, you would still recommend for them to do, knowing that, hey, if you're going to this hunt, it's a learning experience. If you kill a buck, it's kind of a bonus. But kind of go and see what you can learn. Or would you just tell somebody, wait until you get a little bit more success, kind of where you're at, and you find that niche, and then kind of go out there and try to exploit that in other states? No, I was, I'd encourage them to go ahead and go because it's a learning process. Uh, cause I always say when you go and time you get back that, that say if you're going a week, you're going to know way more about hunting. It's just terrain, different terrain. You may learn something. You may stumble up on something and you're like, man, I didn't see that at home, especially, you know, I'll, I'll best to say to Southern hunters, cause you get in that open country, it's easier to kill a deer. It's easier to see a deer. You, you may be in a thicket here in the South and you never see it and may get frustrated, uh, especially a big buck. Oh. Uh, like I said, I've seen a lot of big deer. I've never seen a Pope Young buck in Mississippi in a tree as much as I've hunted. Because I don't bow hunt a lot in Mississippi because there are not very many places you just bow hunt only. So I want to say, you may go to Kentucky and stumble up and, and run into I had a guy message me the other day. He said, man, thanks for encouraging me. I had never been out of state. And he hunted two states last year. And he, he sent me some pictures. He said, the first day I was there in Kentucky, he said, I missed 180-inch deer. He said, he's shutting me up. He said, I just, you know, so you may, we never know. You may go to a spot and you're like, man, look what I done found. Because they're out there. You know, that's one reason I don't hunt the same place a lot. Because you don't know what you're missing somewhere else. Oh. What are what are your standards, by the way, for when you're going out and you're traveling and, and looking for a deer? Does it change state to state? Or, like, what what is the kind oh, yeah. of buck that you're normally looking for? Oh, there's no doubt I was a lot higher standards than the other ones. It, it's just corn because that tag is hard to draw and there are bigger deer there. Uh, I'm looking for a three and a half year old deer and older. Uh, most time you can tell the difference in a three and a half year old deer. Now you get in some areas that's got an older age class in it. You, you're, you're, you know, your standards are higher, but a three and a half year old deer around here in the South is smarter as any deer in the North. I put up against if, if they've been wrong with these dogs and they've made it through two hunting seasons, <laughs> they're pretty smart. Uh, so that's most time when I see one, you're going to, you're going to, your mind's going to say, that's a shooter. Or you may think, uh, is he big enough or not? Uh, so I know that's what experience. As much as I've hunted and a lot of deer I've seen, I go by that. If he gets me excited when he comes in, I like he's a shooter. You know, that's more way I judge it. Uh, it's a excitement level. Uh, or a, I, I'll say one of the bigger ones I killed in Mississippi 15 years ago. When I first seen him, he was just narrow. He went like 13 inches wide, but he was a tall, heavy, 10 point i seen him come walking up a slough straight to me about 80 yards and i first seen him like man that deer he's not big enough to shoot because i was way in a spot that was hard to get him out and that was first you know that's another thing how hard how far you are you in there 
how much work it is to get him out. So, but after we got boning these deer out packed and and got these good packs, you know, I packed them out over a mile and it's just, it's just some work, <laughs> but a lot easier to get one out, bone him out. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what we've been doing now. Now, Jeremy, I'm really curious about your, your experience in river bottoms and, and that being the thing that you kind of try to stick to, especially going from state to state and you're kind of targeting that really like across the country. Um, is it, are there any consistencies in what you're looking for in a river bottom, whether you're looking at a river bottom in Iowa or Ohio or Wisconsin? Like what are the features that you're, that you're looking for? Cause I'm assuming you're not just looking at like any old river bottom. Like there's gotta be something there that catches your eye. Well, I'll give you a few of my tips. I'm going to give too many of them away. <laughs> <laughs> just like a good you're hunter. <laughs> you're looking for what surround that public area. You, you, Cause we're the big deer state where you can't hunt. So you're looking for that refuges, mm-hmm. big private places that, you know, if you ride around there and they got big shooting house, big lodge or something like that, you know, they manage deer. So I, I look for odd corners next to some state state parks. You can't hunt. So you're looking for an odd corner next to, and on time you're going to catch them deer coming off that state park during the rut pretty much. So you're, 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 you're looking at a, cause I hunted place two different times never seen over a deer of deer over 130 in there but i hunted the first week of november and killed killed out first day or two i went back several years later and i, I didn't get there to the 15th i just it just how it worked out i couldn't get there before then in a three-day period i seen 315 steer in there never seen a deer in there that big it was just a time frame but i was up next to a corner or something that you couldn't hunt and they wasn't coming off of it to then so you learn that you, you learn that that's what i look for i'm looking for and i i i got little boats i've learned that most hunters like to fish well they got a big fishing boat so i look for small rivers that they can't put in that makes sense mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, I think oh, different yeah. from most hunters and I'm, i tell you i love to hunt two and a half months in the fall i very seldom run into anybody i may see somebody at the boat ramp here once in a while because most time i go in before daylight and I come out after dark. I run into a lot more duck hunters, especially when you get further north. I don't run in a lot of people hunting like that, but now I've been on some rivers. You get up for daylight and it's foggy and you can't see your hand in front of your face and your stand's a mile down the river. And it takes you two hours to fall in the bank up through there to try getting to it. Or same way coming out in the evening. It, it can be aggravating sometimes. Well, that's why a lot of people don't do it. But the rewards are there, though. So that's a good point talking about, you know, having, you know, in and around that bottom, something that's going to hold deer talking like that kind of sanctuary. And, and you know, there, I've got a bunch of couple states that come to mind where I've seen that for sure. Um, and, uh, I so, thought of one spot immediately, immediately, immediately. I, 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 I thought, I thought of one spot, not even not, Jeremy, not even talking about river bottom, but I, I know one state that comes to mind in a certain piece of public that's got a big sanctuary next to it. That's got some absolute hammers on it. And, oh, yeah. uh, but again, it's, it's not boat access, but it, it take you a little bit to walk back in there. And, well, uh, well, it, it, yeah, the walking here is the same way, same concept. Yep. It is, something's hard to get to odd corner that most folks, <clears throat> but them deer get aged and yeah, and I guarantee, you know, y'all know too, a mature deer that's four and five, six years old, he's learned to stay alive and he's figured that out. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that's what I tell hunters think different from the, the main crowds. Uh, 
I, I see so many folks posting on Facebook and stuff. Man, don't tell you spots and stuff like that. This is maybe a different topic you may not want to talk about, but here's my opinion on public land. I got a lot of contacts all over the country for hunting. What somebody tells me about, I never tell nobody. Because the way I look at that, they I wouldn't have known nothing about that spot if they wouldn't have told me. Mm-hmm. But now a spot that I go and I find, and I know I'm probably never going to go back there again, I'll tell folks. You know, there's a lot of places I know I'll never go back again. And the young hunters say, hey, where's an area at? I'll sort of say, hey, you might want to check this area here, this drainage here. It was good several years ago. Because I look at it, hey, that's my right. I found it. It's not your public land to not tell nobody about. But as a hunter, you got to watch what you give up if you want to go back and hunt it again. Because yep. you, you can tell too many people, and then they tell their buddy, and they tell their buddy, and it's not a good spot anymore. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's that's my take on public land. You know, we all have the same right to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's like, you know, we all kind of use it to our advantage. It's like kind of a spot that we go hunt in Arkansas. I learned, uh, I had, I had been up there. I actually used to go to school in Arkansas and, um, there was a, there, there's a, there's a, you got, that state has so much public land and some parcels are a lot more, uh, well known than others. And it's amazing when you find about a parcel that's not well known other than maybe for like, you know, say duck hunting or for something else. And, uh, you find a guy, you know, killing 190, 100, you know, 195 inch deer in there. And a bunch of deer, you know, not necessarily that big, but in that, you know, just a little bit less uh, class, yeah. but still a super incredible deer, and uh, and what you can kind of go and find. It's like that in a bunch of states. Again, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, the crowd when it comes to public land, there's certain areas in each state, especially like the more common states that you know people travel from, like uh, Kentucky comes to mind. And there's a lot of the same public land that you see mentioned all the time on social media, which, you know, we always try to say, like, you know, I wouldn't mention anything on social media because you don't know how many tens of thousands of people are seeing what you're posting. But, um, but, you know, there's certain parts of states that always get flocked to. But if you look at other parts of the state that maybe are less talked about or less mentioned about on social media, you can still find some absolute giant deer uh, with a little bit less pressure in in kind of some of those areas. Um, And and Jeremy, it, it... not necessarily go down that rabbit hole too much. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit more because I want to get to the point of asking you about, you know, how, why you like to go to new areas. Like you mentioned that earlier in the podcast, that we're going to get to in a little bit, like how you typically don't like to go back to the same spots unless you kill a huge deer or you see some really magnum bucks um, and you'll bounce around so much. But before we get into that topic, talk about the river bottom because this is something that we kind of dabbled in more so the last couple of years after hunting with a couple of our buddies um and, and hunting off boats and, and or hunting using boat axes getting to s- certain spots on rivers and uh, reservoirs and stuff and it's been fascinating hunting because some of these guys that i talked to and one of them we're going to interview in the podcast he kills a lot of his big bucks in these river bombs and he could about jump inside his boat how close to the bank that he's climbed a tree because those bucks are running right on the edge of the water line where all that thick cover is before it opens back up and off the off the river and for you, when you're going in and hunting these river bombs, and especially in a bunch of different states, you talked about kind of having a sanctuary close by that could really hold those deer, especially outside of the rut, and you're kind of catching them, you know, cruising off that looking for other does. What features about a river bottom do you like in general? As in, like, when you're looking at a river bottom, you know, are you like, do you really like to focus on sloughs? Do you like to focus on pinch tree line pinch points where it really necks down along the river where you have maybe some open fields next to it and it really pinches down to like a 50 to 100 yard gap of timber? I mean, what are certain features that really kind of catch your attention from just a scouting standpoint? Well, that's, you know, 
in a river bottom, there's all kind of pinch points. Like you said, a slough, an old, old, old river cut where the old river's rerouted itself, and it may be a slough out from it that pinches them down. I look for creeks coming off of it that come perpendicular in that river. Where it gets shallow enough where they can cross it, that's where they're going to cross it at. You know, if it's super deep right when you first go up that creek, so you, most time you ain't got to go up it very far, and you start seeing where they're crossing. I look for that first. And most time, like I said, you, you got a big block of woods here, and it gets narrow, and you got a big block here that they're coming through that little pinch point. Mm-hmm. There's trails right there. Oh, the main thing, because a lot of times what I like about rivers, they wind. Well, you can find the right wind direction. You may have to go up river a little bit further, or you may have to go down the river a little bit further. They're a lot easier to find places to get the wind right to me in the bottom than they are in the hills. That's 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 one thing I like about it. So, so that's really what I look for is, and I've shot several of them that, like Daniel shot that big Kansas deer this year. He fell right at the river 10 yards from the boat. I shot one in Iowa every year ago and done the same thing. Because um, most time you're not very far from it. Oh, so, so that, you know, that is another style of hunting. Oh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the whole river uh, access thing is interesting because you see guys talk about it, but it's like, you know, like when I went to, say, hunted Arkansas last year, there was a few guys uh, deer hunting, but most guys were just duck hunting out there uh, during that time that you're talking, mm-hmm. specifically during the rifle season, which opens that second week in November, and uh, and even during the muzzler hunt, same kind of stuff. But it always seemed like they were going to spots that I guess – in, in general, you know, some of the pitch points you're talking about, but the deer weren't using them right then and there based off the sign that I was finding, uh, based off where these guys were getting. Like you were saying, a lot of these guys were using bigger boats than we were using kayaks at that point. And you could get way up back in a slough that a guy couldn't get his boat anywhere within a half a mile of that spot. And, you know, most of the time there, all those guys I noticed, and maybe you could talk about this too. If guys are using boats, typically from what I've seen, if they're using boats, like you mentioned, even like there's a lot of times you're hunting pretty close to that boat. Well, if there's some spots that you can't really get your boat back into, you're just going to kind of hunt. It seems like a lot of those guys are just going to hunt right around where they can get the boat to, and they're not going to hike back in any further. What is your thought on, even like you said, you're using smaller boats, you're not using like really any kind of big boat necessarily, to be able to kind of get yourself away from that pressure? You mentioned that you don't see a lot of guys typically, but do you ever run into a situation where like maybe there's like old hunter sign that maybe will kind of tell you like, maybe I don't want to hunt this specific spot and maybe push it in a little bit further kind of off the water itself or back around the backside of a slough or something? Yeah, yeah, sort of. And a lot of times, like you're talking about old hunter sign, a lot of times if I find an old stand in the woods, you think somebody else thought this spot was good too years ago. And most of the time it is. I have killed deer a lot of times. You find an old stand, that, you know, years ago when they used to drive nails in trees and stuff and you just see remnants of that old stand in the tree, you're like, huh. It does look good. Somebody else thought it looked good too. So I, I look for stuff like that. Now hunting pressure, you get in certain areas. Like I said, the easier it is to get to, the more people are gonna get to it. That's just rule of thumb on public land hunting. But one thing I say about that smaller boat, the shallower the water that you just say somebody's got a fishing boat with a fifty horsepower motor, a hundred horsepower motor, they gotta have three or four feet of water consistently. You can't have a shallow spot in it. Cause if they ever run that boat on up on ground one time, they won't be back up there. Same way with boat ramp. I've got a little boat. I can take a part and tote it down to the river and put it in and go. Oh, so I look for, see that gets me. If I can ever get down in there, I ain't got to worry about nobody else coming over the boat. Cause there's no boat ramp there. I, that's one thing I really look for. But now, like I said, a lot of places in Arkansas and stuff where there's big rivers and there are more people hunting with a boat. You do run in some pressure that way. So you start looking 
you start thinking different from a lot of them other guys in. Uh, is 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 sort of see where they're going. Because them them most time them mature bucks, if folks have been doing that for several years, them mature bucks have done learned what they're doing. So look what they're doing and think like a deer is like, okay, I'm gonna do something opposite of them. I've seen a lot of these good walk in areas in some of these states, some of the best hunters right there at the parking area. Uh, especially if you get in where there's a lot of good southern hunters going up there, they're all thinking the same way. Find that odd corner. Find that hardest place to get to, and you get back there, and these five other guys are thinking the same way you are. <laughs> so, you know, so so you know, a lot of folks say all oh, hunts not a competition. I like, yeah, it is. On public land, you got just the same right at that deer as I do. If it's an overtime and counter tag, so you know that's what makes it so sweet for me. A lot of times is well, I know guys are coming in and out. I'm hunting funnels and definitely staying in there in the middle of the day when a lot of guys are coming out at ten o'clock or so. You know, because they'll push deer by you. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth tooth game calls that's sop24 use it at checkout it helps the podcast save space and cut weight with the sawyer mini water filtration system this water filter fits in the palm of your hand and has a total field weight of just two ounces i use this thing all the time Basically, the way that it works is you get a drinking pouch, so it's literally just a little plastic pouch with a cap on it, like a water bottle cap, that you fill up with water, and then you attach the filter to the front of that and squeeze the water through it into you know whatever you're holding your water in. Super fast, super easy, super serious filter, filtering out all bacteria, protozoa, and microplastics, so you don't have to worry about salmonella, E. coli, or stuff like Giardia. This saves me a ton of weight, whether I'm doing a long scouting trip or you know hunting all day, I get to carry less water with me, taking up less room in my pack, and then when I come to a nice stream, filter out some water, and I'm good to go. Head on over to Sawyer.com to check it out, or hit the link in the description of this podcast. You know, we've had a a legendary outdoor store here in Birmingham called Mark's Outdoors for the last 40 years. Family-owned and operated, absolutely a staple in the hunting community here. And we're excited to announce that they have gone national with their e-commerce. So no matter where you're at, you can go get access to all the awesome gear and awesome deals at MarksOutdoors.com. We got a link in the description for them. They've actually got some of our favorite ammo. They have an excellent ammo selection, excellent knife selection, excellent firearm selection. Y'all can go check them out. You won't be disappointed. Everything you need from apparel, archery, firearms, ammo, reloading, gun cleaning, and fishing. They have an unbelievable fishing department. And hey, if you are local or if you're passing through Birmingham, drop on into Mark's Outdoors. Head on over to the bow counter to Mark and Robbie and tell them that we sent you. Once again, that's MarksOutdoors.com, or you can go hit the link in the description of this podcast to check them out. True Lock Chokes has been around since 1981 and still a family-owned operation from the great state of Georgia. True Lock makes every choke configuration you can imagine for any kind of wing shooting, hunting application, but also going to the skeet and trap range. Going into this turkey season, me and Andrew are going to be shooting the new Headhunter series chokes from True Lock and also going to be trying out our buddy Dave Owens Panotti Chokes from the Panotti Project. This is an awesome family-owned operation, guys, that is building all their chokes right here in America, right out of Georgia. 
If you're looking for a new choke this spring, give TrueLock a try, and you can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 10% on all your orders. So y'all go support this awesome local Southern company and give TrueLock a try. And we appreciate TrueLock's support of the Southern Outdoors and Podcasts. All right, Jerry, I got to ask you this because I thought about this. One thing I've noticed, and again, just because I saw this in Arkansas, typically if a guy's going to put a boat in and there's a boat ramp, he's running up or down river at least a few miles before he goes and hunts. Have you ever gone straight across from a boat ramp and hunted in a spot where, again, it's so close to the boat ramp that most guys are driving right past it and they're trying to go up and down river good ways? Have you ever had success going straight across from the boat ramp uh, where most people are going up and down the river? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I killed a turkey this year in a spot right across from the boat ramp. <laughs> and there was some guys who were good in and they were going up and down. And like I said, I'd hunted before and I knew they were right there close over the years. And, and like I said, I've done that. Yes, I, I, I'll pay a lot of attention where somebody else is going and, and see if – but one thing I have to say about if you're hunting water that's got a little bit of current to it, I try my best to hunt upriver. I've learned over the years – you have boat trouble, it's a lot easier to float back down that river than it is to paddle back up and out. So <laughs> that's some advice. But there's sometimes you can't, but if I can find it, I'll go a little bit further if there's a boat ramp down down river and I'm hunting back up. I, I just rule of thumb I do. And that's, that's one thing I really want to say here to y'all. I've hunted a lot of different rivers, and I want to tell the guys that's listening to this here, have your safety plan. I got in a mess December the 15th this year. I turned the boat over. Eight to two hours after dark, done packed a deer out over a mile. I was way back in on the place. Had a big rain a couple days before when the river was high. And I don't mean it happened just like that. I, I, I pushed in and the motor didn't crank and I got up against the log and it flipped me within 10 seconds. And I said, I've been on a lot of river and got a lot of, a lot of time on the river. So have a plan A and B and somebody knows where you're at. Don't, don't never think, just say if you fall out of a tree. You know, my wife's got Life 360 on me. She knows pretty much in general area where I'm at all the time. And I, I encourage people, especially going out west and stuff like that, you know, I always do a show pretty much when I start. I go down my driveway here. And I, I always, in the back of my mind, you never know if you're going to come back up that driveway. So think safety, too. It, 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 that Most time, 99% of the time, nothing's going to ever happen. But I always plan for, for a safety plan. You know, just somebody knows where you're at. This travel hunting, make sure your vehicle's in good shape, good tires, because there's nothing worse than having a flat on the side of the interstate at night and folks just zooming by. Uh, so, so just that's one thing I say. That's something that's not really pertaining to hunting, but it can ruin a hunt if something bad goes wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, we almost got in a mess one time hunting out of a boat. That's a, that's a story for a different time. Yeah, we've mentioned a few times on the podcast. It was the dumbest, one of the dumbest oh, things we've ever done. It was done. bad. I didn't know that Jacob had never been in a canoe before, and he about flips us about four and a half feet off the ramp. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's 20, like, I've never been in a canoe before. 27 degrees. 27 degrees. The river was three feet high and ripping. Okay, yep. and we did it. It was about 11 mile was it how far it was long yeah we it was went pretty down, long floated down we had a truck on the back end and we were trying to get to some get some piece of public that was pretty hard shot a big buck that day i'm glad we didn't because we didn't have any more room in the dang canoe to get him out yeah we, <laughs> yeah we had all of our stuff with us but i wanted to ask well, about what, what re, we, re, real quick before we get into that I, i'm just curious because you talked about you talked about flipping the canoe or flipping your boat um how did you get through that situation just real i'm just curious like how, how did you get out of that situation well luckily like I said, when it flipped, 
there was a tree leaning across the river, a live tree, and the water level was right at it. And my boat hung it, and it pinned me, and I couldn't, I couldn't go either way because it had me pinned in there. And well, I, I turned just a little bit, and I was in a canoe, just sort of a canoe that you can put a motor on the back. Mm-hmm. Well, it dipped and it filled up water. But as soon as it flipped, I come up, and I grabbed the tree, and I got up, I climbed up on the tree, and I, you know, I was up out of the water, but I was soaking wet, lost my boat, gun, cam- cameras, deer. I'd killed a good nine point deer that day. Luckily, my phone still worked, and I, I got I got nine one one. And they said, stay on just a minute. Let's get a pin on you. Well, two hours later, they finally got down there and got to me. But I was going to have about a five-mile walk back out to the closest place that I knew. I had never been that way, but I knew there was a field up the river. And I like, well, I can get out of that. That field, there's a road somewhere that leads out of it, how they get the equipment at. And that night was when the front was coming through. It done dropped down to like 30 degrees. But the water was warm rain the day before it hadn't cooled down it was, it was one of them days the front just come in and wind blowing temperature dropped that evening but it could have been a lot worse if that phone wouldn't work and, and like i said my pack was in the boat i lost all of it i had extra coat and everything in it oh so all i had on was pretty much my clothes <laughs> that i had on and then and luckily my phone worked but as you know i've done the show on that and a lot of guys say, well you need that a uh, garment or something scott one of them that you can text out I'm like, well, odds are that would probably have been in my pack if it's very big. Well, and your pack's gone. So, but but think about that. Just, just you know, when you go into a situation, just sit back and think, what could the worst case scenario be? And just plan for it. Hope it never happens, but it's in the back of your mind. It's like, you know, I sort of knew which way I'd have walked out if the phone wouldn't work. You know, I knew, because well, nobody knew where I was at. You know, my wife knew I was going to stay that night. And a lot of times I call when I get in, but sometimes I don't. You know, she wouldn't have thought nothing about it till the next day. Uh, so it, it can get you, you know, race, you know, high water has got a lot of power. And, you know, I've been on it. I've been in the canoe with that canoe in the Mississippi River several times when it's full. I just, you know, you know what you're doing now. You, you really respect it. Man, that's intense. So, so you never got your gun? You never found your gun or your deer or anything no, like that? Uh-uh. I, I did get the boat. It was in a log drift about a mile and a half down river a couple of days. I went back down with another boat and got it. I'm talking about I bought, a, I had a brand new A7R4 DSR camera. Oh. I, I just went to DSR. Very first trip, I carried it. <laughs> and like I said, I had an awesome footage of a nine point, uh, uh, you know, probably 125 inch nine point muscle. Pretty good deer, I thought, for, you know, for Mississippi. He come in just perfect. Oh, he just come in, come out about forty yards, broadside, shot and dropped him. I like, man, I got a good show here. Lost all of that because my GoPro was in that pack. <laughs> that was when I, when I first turned over. That was the first thing I thought. Man, I just lost this brand new camera. You know, I wasn't even thinking about what could have happened to me because I, I popped right back up out of the water and got on that tree. But reality later, you like, man, we can replace all that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Man, that's crazy, man. That that is dangerous though, and that's one thing that we ended up talking about my with my stepdad, who's he's a he's a big canoe guy. He's he does a lot of like big float trips, and that's mm-hmm. one thing that he was telling me that you got to be real careful about is those strainers, those live limbs that are hanging down in the water. Because if you hit that and you get tangled on it, it's just you're getting drug under, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and, and that's oh, yeah. how a lot of people end up drowning when they're going in on canoes and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you've 
like I said, you, I've, I've been on water many hours after night coming back and forth traveling. You know, I respect it. I respect it a lot more now. I'm just telling you because it's, you know, just how that hunt laid out. I left the house that morning at 3.30, and this was 8 o'clock at night, so I was tired. I done boned that deer out and towed him a mile back out of there. When I got to the boat, I thought, man, I got it made now. I remember throwing that, all that stuff in the boat, and I'm like, it's just a boat ride back to the pickup now. <laughs> and 10 seconds later, I was soaking wet and everything was gone. And I'm thinking, dang, oh. <laughs> it, it's that quick. Golly. Well, uh, I wanted to ask about when it comes to river hunting, um, you kind of, you, you got your areas that you're looking at that you like. So you like finding, you know, a sanctuary area, you like finding that odd corner, finding something off the beaten path, you know, maybe keying in on a funnel. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how often you get to go and pre-scout these areas before you hunt them, or if you're just going in blind, but what do you need to see when you get there on the ground to let you know that you've, you've done your homework correctly and that you found the right spot? Well, I'll basically tell guys, sign in Mississippi, sign in Alabama is no different from Kentucky, Indiana. If I find a big community scrape with a lot of big tracks in it, trails around it, you know, especially during the rut, I'm looking for deer. I'm looking for does. With And then you find that, that big sign, a big rub, link, licking branches, head high, that's as big as your thumb, it's all twisted up. You know, that's what I'm looking for. Oh. You know, a lot of times you rub and stuff, you're going to get them close to your bedding areas. But when you start seeing in these core travel corridors and stuff, uh, that's that's what I'm looking for. And when you, when you see it, you're like, oh, yeah. Because like I said, I'm hunting sign. I'm not hunting particular deer because most of the time you don't know what's there. When, you, when you're going into a new state like that, it's not like around home. It, you may have pictures of a buck all fall, and you think, well, I'm after him. You know, I, I'm, I'm hunting sign. It's, it's pretty much what I'm what I'm hunting. Is, is 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 a big community scrape or a scrape line? Yeah, you know, I hunt more of a scrape line earlier. Most time, that's a particular buck traveling through an area that he's he's marking his territory as he goes. But a lot of times, when you get in multiple trails and there's a big old community scraper, and I'm, I'm talking about something like the size of a car hood, I call it a big scrape, a community scrape. And you see a lot of different tracks, especially if you got one big old track in that song, and you and you're like, oh yeah. And you can tell by the track of a big deer, especially if you get in the Midwest. You get them 250-pound body weight deer, they got a big foot on them. Mm-hmm. I got to ask, he, man, I, I got to ask about this. When it comes to community scrapes, like we found a lot of community scrapes in hill country and mountain country, and I'm, I'm pretty confident with that. Like I, I feel like I can look at a map and find a, a location on that map and say there's probably a scrape right here somewhere in this area and go there and there's a scrape you know and and i'll put a camera on it and get pictures i have not been able to do that at all in flatland yet um especially like river bottom country so when it comes to like a community scrape like are, is there any kind of certain feature or funnel or anything like that that you're typically finding a community scrape on in that flat river bottom country well you're gonna have to find cover somewhere you got to find bedding area in that bottom there. You know, if it's a big old wide open bottom, it's going to be hard to find them because they're not going to, they're not concentrating in the area. They're just sort of coming through feeding and roaming through most time in a river bottom. You can find it may be wind blowed over, uh, you know, a, a high wind come through years ago and blowed over a spot. Oh, and it'd be a thick area there. Some place you find where they may have cut some timber in hardwood bottoms and stuff, <clears throat> or there may be a beaver dam or something there. And we hadn't had a lot of rain or, you know, an old beaver 
down and then the back of it that summer it growed up in grass and stuff you got to find you got to find them transitions first in a bottle no different from big woods you got to find them transition between the big woods and a thicket big woods and a slough or something that breaks them up because they're gonna run them edges okay so that's one thing i'm looking you know i'm looking at them you know like say alabama i can look at a map alabama like man y'all got a bunch of rivers running up through there there's a bunch of places to start there but then i you, you got to pick a spot somewhere you want to start. Don't don't try looking at the whole place. Just just pick you an area because you can't hunt but one tree at a time. Pick you a corner, and really key in on it, and maybe do your boots on the ground and 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 do your radius, and see what you can find. And like I always say, if it catches my attention, like ooh, there's pretty good deer in here. There's a big track in that scrape. That licking branch is all twisted up, or you find some some rubs, say big as your thumb, and he's twisting it up because most time you get one twisting them up breaking them he's got time length he's getting them between them time and he can sit there and twist on them mm-hmm. so that's what i look for that and you can tell if he's got time length how high he's coming up on the tree a lot of times you can tell how you got beam length if there's a tree behind it six eight inches and when he gets up there pushing on it he's he's hitting that tree behind it so i, I look for that that tells me how big probably what the deer you know size horns the deer's got in there mm-hmm now I, I want to talk about the scrape line as well. So, you said you, that you like to target scrape lines a little bit earlier in the season. Can you kind of go over that a little bit? Well, most time earlier they're going from food to bed. So if I find a scrape line between a thicket and some acorn trees dropping over here, that's probably pretty much trail he's running. He may not hit it, you know. And, and one thing about hunting mass crops, it changes from a couple of days. You know, from week to week, it's not the same. They're they're following food, so you got to really. It ain't like you can hunt this place this weekend and it's still gonna be good next weekend. You know, you you got to really do your scouting. That time of year, I say you can't you can't just climb and sit and wait. You you got to stay on fresh sign. So I, that's really what I'm looking for is fresh scrapes. If I'm hunting scrape lines, is because uh, most time they're not. It's not the big territorial scrapes. He's just walking up through her and testosterone's kicking in and he's he's pawing the ground and but he, he's mainly going to feed. But the community scrapes are different. Community scrapes are gonna be in, in travel corridors. They're they're gonna be where multiple deer are coming through. And what times a year roughly would you hunt like a scrape line versus that community scrape? The scrape line is it's gonna be the October hunt. Uh, especially here in Mississippi or the South, or even it's going to be before rut. It's pre, you know, pre-rut. Uh, the community scrape is going to be the rut, or there's post-rut. And a lot of times, you get a big buck won't really come right to that scrape. He's going to wind check that sucker in the daytime. A lot of time, he, he's going to come downwind of it. So always give you don't don't sit there and think you're going to climb and I'm going to shoot him in the scrape because all of he's going to circle around behind it and come in and check it. So. That's one thing I look for is is when I find a big community scrape, how can I get down from it a little bit? Is there a good ambush point down from that to catch him? I've learned the big mature bucks I've killed, if they're coming roaming, you know, looking, checking scrapes and stuff, they're walking with that wind in their favor. So that means you're pretty much going to have a bad wind. So you've got to get to where there's a bend in that trail just a little bit or a crook in the river that he can't keep that wind in his, you know, it's generally going to be coming, but he's going to be maybe, hitting, be maybe hitting it at a 45. That's when I've killed him big deer. You skid where you've got a pretty good wind, 
and he thinks he's got a pretty good win. And he's a lot more confident coming up through there. That's what I was going to ask about, actually. I was going to ask if there's any consistency with how far back off that scrape you have to get. Because, like, I, I'm always curious if it's more of, like, a distance thing. Like, oh, they're, they're usually swinging just, like, 75 yards behind it. Or if it has more to do with, oh, there's a there's a sliver of cover. There There's just a little bit of thicker stuff, you know, 100 yards downwind, and, and he's always on the backside of that thicker stuff or something like that. Uh, is that is that what you've noticed? Is, is there sticking yeah, a cover? Or is it yeah, just I think a it, I think, thing? I, yeah, I think it's more cover, how far that cover is from that scrape. Um, because, like you said, he's going to – unless – and it goes to weather, too. If you've got a good front or something, that I just think that a good cold front – especially I've had a lot of guys tell me, and I've seen it, too. The first week of November or the last week of October in, say, Iowa, some of these big states with a big deer, they claim that first big cold front, they're up on their feet. I think in, in crowd that thing a little closer then because I think them to, that testosterone is kicking in. They're 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 feeling it. They they're they're looking. You know, breeding's kicking in. Them hormones are kicking in. But if it's just an average day, or he's just sort of up going from point A to point B, I think he's super alert. You know, he he's going. I'm, I know where I'm going. I, I know when he when he gets up out of that bed that day, I think the wind direction determines where he's going. I don't I don't think. He, he's, he's wanting to go over here and walk with the wind in his butt. I think he's he like, well, wind this way. Because you got to think, they live out in that weather all the time. They know way more about it than you, you think they do. You know, the ones that survive. You know, I guess I guess when I look at weather, I've always worked outside. And uh, and our work was always weather-oriented. So you sort of you sort of know what the weather's going to be the next day by what – if a front's coming in, if it starts clouding up in the evening. You know, there's there's certain things. I think deer will know that. That may be where he bedded this evening because he's like, I know what's coming tomorrow. This weather's going to shift or something. I, I do think a deer thinks that way. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, I, I want to, as there, there's there's so much more to ask you, and I definitely want to get you back on the podcast because there's some there's some stuff that I don't even want to touch on talking about like fronts and and stuff like that that I, I think deserves uh, that is quite the rabbit. Yeah, hole. deserves his own episode. But uh, Jeremy. When you and you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, and that's why I want to kind of go back to it a little bit. On when you hunt out of state, you don't always typically go back to the same spot unless it is absolutely dynamite. Or like, even though you might have some success, you may kill a good deer, but you don't see any of those, you know, the the super upper echelon bucks that maybe you're kind of looking for in specific states. So you'll you'll constantly kind of bounce around into different spots. What about that and that style of hunting, of kind of bouncing around, do you like? Because you mentioned earlier that, you know, if you keep hunting the same spot over and over again, even though there's maybe some decent deer there, but it's maybe like the, the upper echelon bucks that you're trying to find, you don't know what's over the, on the next property. You don't know what's in that next county over. You don't know what's on the other side of that state or a different portion of that state. When did you kind of develop that style of continuing to move around until you try to find like the the, the biggest bucks you could possibly find in the state, and then kind of focus in on that area? I think a lot of it, I just sort of stumbled across it. You go into an area that you've never been into, and you're like, boom! You find a big sign. A day or two later, you kill a big deer. You're like, man, look what I just done! And I look at it. If I wouldn't have come there, I wouldn't have done that. So I get thinking, why keep going to the same place over and over when there might be something better over here? Because as much as I've hunted, I don't think I've ever seen a booner 
out of the tree. And a lot of these guys up north that are in Booner states that's got a lot of Booners that's, that's, that's killed several, I think I, I just think that's a different class deer. If you never hunted one of them, you don't know how well, how they think. Uh, you know, a lot of it's going to be their terrain and stuff and, and their habitat and soil type genetics that grow big deer and, and their seasons to give them age structure. But I still think a 160, 70-inch deer thinks different from a 130-inch deer. I, 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 you know, and if you never hunted one, you don't really know how to compete with them. You know, so because they're not in many places in the country, not on public land. So, you know, so you got to, and, and one thing probably determines a lot of that is age structure with some of these limited draw areas that they got age structure. You know, to get that big a deer, most time they're going to have to be four and a half, five, six year old on average. You know, a, a two and a half, three and a half year old deer is not going to grow horns that big. He may have potential to be that big later in his life. So I guess that's one reason I like jumping around is because I've sort of stumbled into some areas and kill a big deer. And I'm like, man, uh, you never know what else is out there. And I'm, and I'm hunting enough different places. I like, I can hunt a different place every day of my life and never hunt the same one twice. There's that many out there. And, and you don't see that till you get hunting all these different states traveling and see that. You know, the average guy is sort of hunting around his house and he sort of sees hunting around his home state. And he's like, man, this public land's hunting, hunting hard. You don't ever know what's in these other states. It, you find odd corners just sort of like we talked about, sort of think different. Some of these big areas that a big deer's been killed and, and uh, articles have been wrote about it. Yeah, a lot of folks have heard about it and they're going to go there. Another thing I, I say, well, a lot of folks won't think about it. And I wouldn't until I got doing this YouTube and stuff. You don't want to keep killing a big deer in the same spot several years and keep putting the same shows out. Because, folks, I, I know what I would do. You ain't got to tell me a whole lot of information. I can find where you're at. You know, I, I've been enough different terrain. I can see your footage. And I was like, okay, he's probably in, I can tell by tree types, uh, timber stands, ground type. He's probably in this state. Uh, and if you keep showing enough, there's enough folks that's pretty sharp can figure you out where you're at. So I was wondering how I jump around too. <laughs> I didn't put in for a state. I didn't put in for a state this year because I've killed a couple of good deer there, and I like I better stay away from there for a while. And it's a sleeper. It's just one of those spots that's that is very unique because you look at you like they're not there. There's no big deer there. So yeah, that's um that is an interesting topic, and, and it kind of comes up. I mean, I, I've seen people. I personally know guys who have found you know, different guys on YouTube that are, you know, hunting different pieces of public land. And I know personally, no dudes have found the tree on aerial map of exactly where that deer was shot. Yep. Uh, just based off one, one, one video and maybe some stuff that was mentioned in the podcast about like a region or stuff that was mentioned in the video about region of a state or something like that. Cause typically someone's putting a video on YouTube. Typically they're going to be talking about at least what state they're in. Um, and yeah. you can kind of take it from there. So that, that is a good point. Like you said, with you bounce around with the filming aspect, you kind of don't have to worry so much about guys finding you because it's kind of a, a one and done thing in, in most situations. Uh, and it kind of continue to bounce around. Um, but Jeremy kind of getting kind of set up for the mobile hunters expo where you're going to talk about a lot of this stuff in, in great detail. What are, what are, um, uh, attendees of the expo 
going to hear you talk about at the show and especially because i know they're going to we're going to open up me and andrew are going to kind of are going to host the uh the actual seminars itself and, and kind of run with the mics but when it kind of opens up to like conversation for q a so like if we have listeners that come to the show and you know have questions that they want to ask you you know when you're done with your presentation what are some of the things that are going to be discussed upon that people can kind of you know look forward to and is it some of the stuff that we talked about on this podcast and how much other topics potentially will be discussed for your seminar at the mobile hunters expo in chattanooga well i'm i'm the type i want you to ask me i want I want you to pick my brain because a lot of times I've learned there's some simple things that I take for granted that somebody's never done it. Like, how do you do that? Uh, I, I've sort of learned my show in the last year too. I overlooked a lot of simple stuff I thought was simple. <clears throat> so folks got asking questions like, how do you know to, how do you know to climb that tree right there? Well, what were you, you didn't show what you, how you read this sign and why, and why you stayed there, how long you stayed there. So I want to basically give some facts how to do this. And I want to open it up for questions. Ask me what you want to, because uh, I'm 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 type. I I feel like I know hunting, traveling, hunting as much as anybody out there. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you what I know. And I want to share my knowledge I got with in my head. You know, that's what I say. When you get fifty, you think a lot different. I guess I've looked and I've seen a lot of some older guys that had a lot of knowledge. Man, when they die, that library goes with them. So I, that's sort of my style of hunting with this show. Is hey, I want to help other hunters out out there. I don't know everything, but I think we work together. We, we can help share it. Oh, I done a show here a while, but just a week or so ago on deer metals. I've tried it last several years, and I, I basically left it opened up to say, hey, y'all, for any other hunters out there, tell me what y'all use. Man, these folks commented they had all different type of remedies. That, that's what I've learned. A lot of times I pick up, I may run into a hunter somewhere. We run into a hunter in, in Ohio. Didn't run into him. We got him off the show. He commented. Uh, one of my buddies went up there and hunted with him and man he got talking about thermals in the mountains that i've never heard of it's how how wind and how to how to play certain words or thermals <clears throat> so that's what i, I want to tell what i know and, and that's you know we're based here our like i said our concept is is traveling out of state hunting there's all kind of details to it you know we've talked about a good bit here but somebody else may have another question and i want to know what your question is because uh, I've pretty much done it. Uh, and I know what works for me. And I think it'll work from a lot of the guys out there. But now, a lot of what I do is very extreme. I'm not worried about a very high percentage of people doing it. Because there's a lot of days it's miserable. I'm talking about it's just totally miserable of what you're doing. And you're sitting there thinking, I remember that night and I turned that boat over thinking, boy, is this worth all this? You know, you could be dead right now. You know, I got, the thought was running through my mind when I was standing on that log waiting for the boat to come pick me up. That's because, like I said, I was out over the river. I was just on that tree. I was thinking, I might better just start keying on walk-in areas. You know, the risk is pretty high what I'm doing here, especially hunting by myself. But it, it sort of gets in your blood, and that's just what you love to do, that style of hunting. So I guess the question you're asking me is, it's open. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast here and you're coming to that show and you've got a question ask me ask me and i'll tell you my understanding of it. i get a lot of that we had a couple of them good shows come out this fall i had some local guys within an hour here i had probably five different ones said man i i want to sit down i want to buy you lunch i just want to sit here and pick your brain how, how, how do you do this and that and when you get talking to them they're like man i just ain't never thought about that before that's pretty simple so 
So that that's more but what I want to do is like that. And I think Daniel's the same way. He's for his age, he's got a wealth of knowledge in his head. Yeah, no, that's exciting. I think, you know, with a lot of our listeners being at the show, um, I, I think it's going to be super interesting when you kind of open it up for questions and, and kind of seeing what people say and kind of getting your thoughts on it. Because I know uh, Chris Luppert is going to be uh, – uh, they're going to be uh, recording the seminars. And I don't know if they're going to want to release it as a podcast or if they're going to release it as like a video uh, series uh, on the YouTube channel. But it'd be really interesting to kind of get, you know, your thoughts on a couple different things from other listeners. Uh, and there's other people, attendees at the expo, and really kind of dive deep on some of those topics. Um, but before we kind of wrap up, Andrew, what, what other questions do you have if you have anything I you mean, want to cover? I got a lot, a lot, a lot of questions, but they're all like weather, moon phase, scrape you know, all like that kind of stuff related. And Jeremy, we want to get you back on to do a deep dive specifically on all of those things for sure. Uh, Cause we could go on, but we'd be here for probably about <laughs> two and a half more hours. And that is not yeah. an exaggeration for any new listeners. Like we used to do that, man. We got some four hour podcasts in that back catalog. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But, no, I'm, so I'm that, good, man. You know, and I, I run into that when I get talking hunting, man, folks, they just keep throwing questions at me. and it's just it and you don't know it's sort of like surfing on the web you don't know where you're going to end up at but it's just getting knowledge out there and and somebody else have another question because I, I got daniel over here the other day and i said all right what topics we want to talk about and man we led about five six different ways i like it so let's just sort of tell the basics and see where the audience wants to go with it let, let them ask questions that's interesting to them and let's because i'm you know i'm confident i can answer it for them in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be so fun. And people can use the promo code Southern to get a discount on those tickets to that show. And uh, it's going to be in Chattanooga on the weekend of June 24th. So it's getting pretty close here. And uh, you can go ahead and get your tickets in advance and use the promo code Southern to get a discount. And you're going to help out this podcast by doing that. Yep. So definitely do it. And uh, Jeremy, as a point of wrapping up here, if guys want, especially if they want to watch some of your video content, if they haven't already seen your YouTube channel, and maybe even get some ideas for questions to ask you at the show, uh, first off, how can they follow you guys at uh, Do It Yourself Hunter uh, Hunters, and how can they go along following you guys on social media along with the YouTube channel? Basically, YouTube channel is Do It Yourself Hunter. Uh, we're on Facebook group, and we got a page too. The group is where they can post. We basically started it where if you've got a hunting tail, uh, we want to share information because there's, a, you know, there's a lot of hunters like us out there that may be super good in their little niche, and that's why we want to sort of if we all start sharing information. I think it'll make all of it better hunter if you want to be. You know, it, that's the way I look at this internet and everything and social media. If you want to learn, it's there. If you spend a little bit of time and and be open minded. And, and, and learn so daniel's got an instagram account and stuff like that i don't i'm i'm old school y'all <laughs> i come along way before computers did and these cell phones and everything so i'm not up to to that i love to hunt i love to film my hunts so you can go to like i said the do self hunter channel we got a lot of different out-of-state hunts go to the channel and watch several of them shows and you may have some questions you know a lot of how we pack things out how we took care of the horns and stuff like that there's little tips and things like that that you may be interested in because when you go out of state there's all every state's pretty much different on rules so you and i don't like to read y'all i'm not a reader <laughs> so uh <clears throat> i you know like i said so if you got any questions off the show like that hey bring them i'm more than welcome and daniel bofer 
like I said, ask them. We'd love to answer for you. Perfect. Awesome. Well, hope to see everybody at the uh, the Mobile Hunters Expo up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, guys. And uh, again, come talk to Jeremy. Come talk to us. Talk to Daniel. Daniel's going to be on the podcast hopefully very soon. Got to schedule that with him. Uh, but again, excited to see you guys in person and, and talk some more details about deer hunting. So, Jeremy, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. And listeners, we appreciate you guys for getting us up and over 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts. That was a, a huge help. So, thanks everybody for doing that. And uh, everybody, we'll catch you back here on this week weeks it's not really a friday breakdown so i guess it's an outro going back to after it's rebranding everything again but (laughs) y'all need to tune in for this week's outro uh, where we talk about this episode and much more so thanks again jeremy for joining us and listeners we'll catch you back here on the next episode for the southern outdoorsman podcast Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.